Let Me Ask You is a podcast for adults. We discuss explicit topics, sensitive topics such as death, suicide, drugs, etc. Content warnings can be found in the description. And we're not experts. Enjoy. Welcome back to Let Me Ask You. I'm Jake, and as always, I'm joined by Clay. Hello. <laughs> as always, we are joined by our would-be sponsor, Rage Shadow Legends. Still hasn't reached out to us, Still hasn't. but we are more than willing. If you hear us, if you hear this, know that we're ready. And by popular demand, and by popular demand, I mean me, because I'm 50% of this, right? Or more like 40. Clay's like a good 60. <laughs> <laughs> Is my brother Coop more formally my godbrother Coop? Hi, I'm Coop. Uh, <laughs> that's not all I say. <laughs> no, you're good. I'm very familiar with Coop's upbringing and his story. Um, I haven't really gotten into too much depth with it in this sort of format, so I thought that it would be a good opportunity to further explore Sonder with someone that I'm very familiar with. He has an amazing story. I can't wait to talk to him about it if you're joining us again thank you so much um clay and i very much appreciate your support we love you guys this is your first time joining us gotta ask you know why welcome to the cast yeah welcome you could be doing anything else you know brush your teeth walk the dog but you could listen to us while you do those things yeah true true it's kind of bad to sell your product bad man yeah <laughs> You're fired, bro. You're marketing guy. When your marketing technique is to not watch, I feel like that's bad marketing. <laughs> I'm not telling him not to watch. I, just, I guess bad publicity is just as good. You know, any publicity. Hit us up on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Let us know why you're watching, where you're watching from. We enjoy knowing those things. And not having to look at our analytics page to find out. Facts. Check it like all the time. We check it every day. Yeah, it's kind of like an addiction at this point. Yeah. If you guys have any questions, comments, whatever, we're, we're on Facebook, Twitter. Feel free to hit us up. Pretty responsive. Very responsive. Extremely. <laughs> Without further ado, um, let's get into Coop's story. We're in for a good one. Coop, go ahead. Um, I guess just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, Coop, I'm... 28 years old i live in ohio and lived here about my whole life i guess what else do i say well we're gonna we're just gonna start off you know from the beginning or as as early to the beginning as we can get a pretty good question that we usually ask is what is your earliest memory see like i have a lot of like repressed memories from my child i don't know if that was the rampant drug use or just trauma from it all but i don't have a lot it's all it's all like how do I explain it? They all feel like little snippets, you know, if that makes sense, like little pictures and glimpses. A lot of my earliest memories are with my father, my uh, late deceased father, who I had a lot of very good fond memories with, like fishing and going up north and exploring. And so if I had to say my earliest, it'd probably be fishing on the river with my dad, which we did quite frequently. That's like... Out of a movie. I'm, I'm yeah. pretty sure I've seen that in a few movies. Pretty sure I've seen that movie. It's, uh, it's, I think it's, I'm thinking it's Big Fish, right? Big Fish. Oh, I talked about movie. it last time. That great is movie. such a phenomenal movie. If you haven't watched it, that's literally my number one recommended movie. I actually watched it again for like the third time the other day. It never fails to make me cry. I have not actually seen that movie. I was just making a shot in the dark. 
That's a pretty accurate shot. There's a shot at the moon. I guess I hit. I guess we're just going to kind of go on heavy. You you said that you're pretty comfortable talking about most things. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit more about your dad? You said that your dad passed away. So my father died. What most people would consider relatively young. He died at the age of 48. And he, uh, the ending of his life was pretty tragic. He was he was a great man. He instilled a lot of really a lot of my core values within me, and I believe that you know I hold a lot more of my father than anything. But uh, yeah, he died from a brain aneurysm, and when I was about thirteen years old, and it was a very tragic tragic death. You know, it's very sudden. I don't know if anyone listening has ever even encountered somebody dying from that. It's like you know, one second they're they're here, and the next second. They just don't eat. They, they're just completely gone. That, I mean, that, that is really interesting. I, I guess I'm incredibly curious to know because a, a lot of people have had loved ones, uh, parents even that have passed away. Um, but I'm not so sure that everyone, you know, witnesses it to the extent that you did. Do you think that being uh, a victim of that, it sort of like shaped your life differently than someone who wouldn't see that? I think a lot of that incident is a lot more, I think it was a lot more difficult for me because I, when I, at that age, you know, my dad was almost like my entire support network emotionally. You know, my mother wasn't very emotionally there for me growing up. And so losing him, like I almost lost any way of feeling heard. And so a lot of that event was I like almost like exacerbated by the fact that I had to do the work on my own at such a young age to like overcome this tremendous amount of trauma. And, you know, I was there through the entire thing. Like I watched him being like literally within an instant going from being okay and having a conversation to just dead. And so it was really hard to process. And I spent a lot of years trying to understand losing somebody I was so close to while also like, go moving on from that and i don't think i really fully moved on from such that such a large event until i was nearly like 18 or 19 when i was able to kind of start becoming my own man and kind of understanding like life because you know my dad suffered from drug abuse that was pretty well hidden from me at least and you know i found that out a little bit after in a very traumatic way as well where uh, I just had his autopsy report and it said that he was, you know, he had cocaine in his system and like, it was like, you know, it made it almost harder to trust my own family because it was like, wow, you know, like I was just com- you know, completely lied to this entire time. So yeah, it was definitely a very hard event to process completely on your own at 13. You mentioned that your dad gave you some of your core values. What do you think those core values are? My dad was very much kind of like a – he was a very loving man and a very caring man, a very giving man. And he he very much pushed on to me that love of friends and the people you care about in your life and like treating them well and always being loyal to them and staying by their side. And he – he like it, it was very much evident with the way that like every single friend that he had, he had known his entire life. And they were they were there – even at his funeral, they were all gathered. I, I knew them all. The, I've seen them all the time. I called them uncle. I would, you know, I still see them to this day, a lot of them. And it's, it's crazy to me to see that because, you know, 
I know a lot of people who have parents and they're like, I've never even seen my dad hang out with, you know, one of his friends. And it was like, my dad was kicking it. Like they were in high school with these guys, you know, they would go to, they'd hang out at a bar. They would, you know, hang out at each other's houses. They'd buy each other gifts. And it was, it was so crazy to see all this love, you know, and they were just like the kind of guys who were just always there when you needed them. And so growing up and seeing that it was just so profound that like, I just knew that I wanted to also, I wanted to be like that. And my dad, you know, he would do things for me where he would, you know, let's say I was going to go hang out with my friends and I wanted to get food. My dad would give me extra money to buy my friends food. He'd be like, well, if you're going to eat, your friend should eat too. And so like he would give me 50 bucks to get pizza, you know, which is, you know, which is wild. I mean, you're just giving your kid 50 bucks and telling him to, you know, shoo. It's, it was great. And, you know, he, he would build a relationship with the friends that I did have in my life at that time. You know, he would like meet them and he would know them and he, you know, give them nicknames. And, you know, he, he did, I mean, he did the same thing for my brother's friends and my sister's friends. It was just, he was just such a sociable, charismatic, outgoing person. And just those traits just kind of were instilled in me spending so much time with him. That's, that's actually pretty profound in the sense that, you know, I've heard that friends are the family that you can choose. And I feel like, especially at such a young age, um, when you experience, you know, the people who are actually your family uh, fall short of their duties that um, it's pretty beautiful that you can fall back on the ones that you choose to call family. So I think that's actually a really good value that he passed on. And I mean, I've even seen it in action where you practice that pretty much almost daily. And then even growing up and then moving on, like, like I said, I never really had a, too much of a close relationship with my actual family outside of my, my siblings from my dad. And so these friends that I had growing up really did become that family. And it, it really like, it shows. And, you know, I think one of the hardest things people find in life is finding friends that are genuine to you and value you and want to be there for you. And I've just been exponentially blessed in my own life to have that. You know, I have such amazing friends who just have bent over backwards to see me thrive, even in my lowest points. Even to this day, I mean, it's just like, it's great. That's along the lines of what I was going to ask. How was your relationships and social life before your dad passed and after? What effect did it have on the way you interacted with the world around you? Before my dad died, I did have a little friend group. And I, I so when I, when my dad was alive, I mainly stayed with him. And I went to school in his school district. My mother always kind of jumped around just to town to town to town. And so with him, I had a very static and steady, consistent life, you know, waking up seven, going on a school bus, come home, get a ride into town, hang out with my friends, come home about 10 or nine o'clock. When he died, I ended up moving with my mother. Well, I moved in before that because he started going down a slippery slope with his drug use and when I uh, started living with my mother and it started becoming inconsistent and chaotic, you know, obviously I started getting thrown into depressive episodes and just like, it was very neglectful. My mother wasn't really there emotionally and it, she had her own plethora of issues. You know, I, for what it's worth, I've come to terms with what happened the way my mother was to me. And I've realized that she didn't understand how to love, I guess, you know, there's a bad way of saying it, I guess, but correctly. And so Living with her, I never felt what I had with my dad. You know, think the questions I didn't have to ask my dad, you know, I would constantly have to ask my mom, like, does she even care about me? Does she love me? Does she even think about me? Does she does she want to see me thrive? You know, like with my father, it was very much like, yes, he was he always told me he loved me, always told me he wanted to see me do well. So afterwards, living with my mother, having that emotional neglect 
and downright actual neglect, I was thrown into these depressive episodes and going to this new school district, I was getting bullied. And I remember like, I was just constantly crying because I lost my, what I was thought was my best friend in the entire world. And so I kind of went into this deep, deep, depressive episode and i was just like felt like almost like a lost soul i I went into homeschooling to deal with everything and i just coped by playing (laughs) this is gonna sound embarrassing but world of warcraft and i actually met some guys on world of warcraft when i was 14 and they kind of helped me they talked to me like i they talked to me like a human and i remember they would very much just kind of like ask me about my day there was this one guy i played with his name was pat he would uh he would ask me if I did my homework, how I was doing in school. And I feel like, you know, those, those kind of connections I made after my father died helped me, but it was very, very difficult to see the light in the world when you lose something that deep to you when you were so young. Did your mom ever dabble in some of the stuff that you said that your dad did? Are you talking about like the drug use? Yeah. No, my mother was, see, it's very difficult. My mother, I, I've, found this recently in therapy i don't know much about my mother truthfully i lived with her like i guess the majority of my teenage years and whatnot but she just never we never really had any good memories together we never had any like connection i don't i don't remember any real bonding moments with her that weren't used as tools to create a bond with her and her new husbands because she desperately wanted us to view her new husbands as our like fathers so no i know that she really didn't do drugs and alcohol but like she just – I can't tell you what she's done in her life, you know. But I know that she was re- very much sober when everything was going on. And are you – I don't want to make assumptions, but are you close with your mom at all now? No, I um, I pretty much cut all communication with my mom. Like it's it's one of those things where like for, my, the, for the benefit of myself and for what I see with my future, I just don't think a relationship with her is – good you know and it's there's a lot of pain and hurt there that i'm still dealing with it's just hard to talk to her and she's like i said she's very much her own ish has her own issues and those issues just become difficult for me to deal with not that i think having those issues are a problem it's just like with us it's just it just doesn't work i don't want to say we got ahead of ourselves because you've you've said some really (laughs) deep impactful things and i appreciate it i mean obviously losing your dad the one thing you cared about in the world and then suddenly being thrust into this world where someone doesn't seem to care about you nearly as much if at all did that have an impact on you in terms of your social life or like your school like did your grades dip anything like that i'm an adhd kid you know so school wasn't really ever my thing so my grades were always kind of bad but my in my teenage years afterwards like it definitely because my home life was so chaotic i didn't enjoy i never wanted to be there i never felt safe i never felt like i had a home so i constantly was out partying doing drugs doing whatever i could to escape the pain inside my heart and my head and so it definitely affected my schoolwork. It, it affected my aspirations. It affected my work ethic. It affected every aspect of myself, be, you know, because one of the most important parts of a person is having somewhere you can go home to feel safe and relaxed, that like winding down place and not having that at all. It's, it's like you're constantly at like a hundred percent. You mentioned drug use. When did that start? I moved to my mother with my mother to this, my, the last school district where I graduated, I don't want to say too much about where I live and stuff, you know, just paranoid about the internet and stuff. But with the, 
the last place I lived where I graduated, where I made actually the, a good amount of the, the friends that I have now, I kind of started getting into the wrong crowd. I was about 15, and I started smoking weed with them, you know, and then that weed turned to, like, all kinds of other stuff. So, like, we were pretty much doing whatever uh, we could to – or I was doing whatever I could to deal with the pain. So, like, I was doing smoking weed, doing perks, doing doing – any pills we could get psychedelics i mean i i always make the joke i was you know i was huffing cool or uh huffing freon and stuff it was whatever really would just get it away and i eventually realized that it was probably in my best interest to stop when i was about 19 years old about 20 when i moved out of my house when i moved out of my house to my first apartment i kind of was like yeah we got to really chill out on all this stuff do you regret it at all i i don't regret it in the sense that like I beat myself up about it. I more or less just, I more or less just, I'm like, damn, why did I do that? You know, that was really, really dumb, but I'm not like, I don't beat myself up about it. I don't have any regrets about my life. You know, it turned out the way it did. And I'm, I'm pretty happy with the place that I'm in and the way that I'm moving and the way things are changing for myself. So I don't, I don't try to view it in like a a rigid black and white sense, but just a, a boy struggling to cope. So where are you at now in your life? What do you, what do you do? Uh, I'm a warehouse worker, a little warehouse. I've been here about two years. Um, I'm really just kind of going with the flow of things right now. I'm working on uh, switching jobs right now into something a little more career oriented, but feeling pretty strong, feeling pretty confident. You know, I've been losing, you know, I've been working out, losing weight, trying to, you know, work on my mental health. I've been going to therapy for damn near like three years now. I'm pretty happy with life right now. It's it's definitely something I've worked really hard towards to to get that mindset, to get into the positive light of like life. Because I was recent, like within the last year or so, I was diagnosed with a personality disorder, and that was very hard to deal with. But I've actually recently been told I'm undiagnosable now. Wow, what caused the sudden like character shift? There was a point I was down down low probably the lowest i'd ever been in my entire life i was 25 years old or 24 25 and actually me and my therapist were talking about this the other day i was at the lowest point in my life i was about ready to kill myself or well i was i was attempting i wrote a whole suicide note out at the whole nine yards i was ready to do it and i remember i was just like yeah i'm gonna do it but i'm gonna do it my way and i left I was going to jump off a bridge. I left. I got home. The next day, I called a therapist. I got an appointment. And I did kill myself that day. I killed the parts of myself that hated me. And I killed the parts that didn't think I was good enough and didn't believe in me. And I created the person that I wanted to be. And I became more true to myself and more genuine for myself. What was going through your head when you made that decision not to go through with suicide? You know, it's like when... I spent, ever since my dad died, I spent a large, vast majority of time constantly wanting to do that. And I always kind of made a plan. And there were several times I tried and just failed. But at that moment, I was just, it was this like profound sense of just like, if you really want to do it, what's the point? And just what's the point of even doing it? And it was this weird kind of mix of like, uh, how do I say it? It's like melancholic and nihilistic, but like in a positive sense it was very odd it was like let's just keep going let's see what happens let's just try another route whatever if it fails whatever who cares and i just came through and like i i thought about like my sisters my brothers and it was like 
I didn't really want to leave them behind thinking they might have failed me when, you know, truly in that moment, I was also failing myself. It was very weird. And it's been a hard fought journey. It's all been uphill every day. But it, I, I don't regret it at all. It was one of the best decisions I made, especially to get into therapy. I have a wonderful, wonderful therapist. She's been nothing but patient and helpful. It's been great, honestly. Like I'm turning my life around. Though it wasn't fun, it was definitely one of the best decisions I've ever made. Yeah, those are really good qualities when you choose a profession where um, time isn't really something that you can put on a piece of paper. It takes such a long time. So that's, yeah. we're proud of you. We're proud of you that you're still here and Absolutely. that you're doing good for yourself. I just want to touch real quick because you, you said something pretty interesting about nihilism, how you have you know had nihilistic views in the past. I... Yeah. sympathize with that because I too have um, had those kinds of thoughts. Can we just know real quick what your views on nihilism are? Because it didn't seem, you know, intrinsically negative to you, which I would agree with you. And I'll, I'll elaborate a little bit further, but what are your views on it? Well, with nihilism, it's such a, it's such a blank slate of a way of viewing things, right? If nothing matters and why does what I'm doing not also matter? You know what I mean? It's like, you can, it's almost, counterintuitive like it's like it's just constantly fighting with itself it's like oh i should end it all because nothing matters well why would you end it all nothing matters who cares just keep going you know you can almost kind of fight it and my therapist actually i remember one time i was going through a hard time and she kind of did the same thing to me where i was like oh you know these these thoughts are all very nihilistic and she's just like oh well, let's go at it and we did and she just kind of used the same logic back at me the same nihilism back at me to push me forward it's very weird it's like nowadays i don't feel very nihilistic and if i do it's just like for things that just that doesn't really matter you know like the small stuff because that's definitely one of the biggest things you know everybody says don't sweat the small stuff and god your life is so much better when you don't it's that's it really is and just, i'm just i guess yeah it's just if you don't sweat it, dude, you just your life goes by so much. I mean, yeah, you're already so worried about the big better. stuff, you know. I'm wondering if there's like um, a common denominator, though. Common denominator, uh, because I, I sort of had like the same um, revelation about nihilism, and it's weird, right? <laughs> that um, when when you hold the belief that things don't matter, it's almost this really weird backwards logic that if nothing matters and it truly is up to you, what you decide is important. And it literally, it leaves more room for you to be happy. So I I've, I've been a firm believer in a while that there is such a thing as like almost <laughs> positive nihilism, which is like really backward. I think it's just, I think you're just thinking of stoicism in it a way. Be, my vernacular could be off. That's how I would describe it. I, I practice stoicism often, like daily read the books, you know, listen to the speakers, all that stuff that everybody does. And, and it really is that sense of, you know, remember that you're going to die one day and that the only thing that actually matters is the connection that you make with other people. Nothing else is important. seems like there's a pretty thin line between those two. What genuinely matters is just like whatever, whatever you choose to make matter, I guess. I mean, that's really at the end of the day, because like true, I mean, it is nihilistic. Nothing really matters and you can live whatever. If you free yourself of the idea of like, I mean, this is going to sound, you know, bleh, but like if you free yourself of the idea of what society wants from you, I mean, you can just literally be whatever you want. I mean, you can do whatever you want. Whether, whether you might have to face ramifications for it, but as long as you're not doing anything that doesn't hurt anybody, who cares what you do? I think that's like the biggest thing is that the hindrance to people finding themselves and finding 
creating like a life worth living is what they let other people tell them they can do or tell them what they should do or tell them who they should be or enjoy. And once you just kind of shred that away, you just like, life is just better. It's funny that you say that because Clay and I have said for literally years that <laughs> no, we don't care what you do. Just don't hurt anyone. Just don't hurt anybody. <laughs> just, don't, just do what you want to do, bro. Just don't hurt other people. At this point, there has to be like a common denominator. There's no way that this yeah. is all by chance. What it is is that stoicism was here first, and then people that didn't like it started calling it nihilism. Why? Why do people just not like it? That's the most nihilistic way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't like that. I don't care, though. I don't care so that I don't like that. It's really weird, and I've had some pretty intellectual conversations I mean, at least on the part of the opposing party, I don't, I don't know if I sounded intellectual during it, but I've always thought that there is a really strange beauty in nihilism and where it isn't, or you can view it as not inherently bad, which I guess at that point you're teetering stoicism and you might not actually be nihilistic, but I think it just depends on how you look at it, like a glass half full, glass half empty kind of thing. I mean, it's, it's worth stating that we made those words up, so they could be the same thing. I literally said this last episode that all words are made up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> made up glass? <laughs> I mean, someone looked at a glass and said, yeah, that's a glass. The that's brain glass. the brain named itself. Well, no, they didn't call it a glass. It's first it had to go through Latin. So it was probably like glissam malse or some shit like that. And then, then turned into glass over time. Coop, we'll accept a lot of language, language filters. Filters. But What we will not Listen. accept is trashing on Latin. <laughs> okay, okay. No one speaks it. It's a dead language. So It's noble that you're so open about it. It's. I think it's really important for people to hear... Everyone really does have a very unique struggle or across the bear, so to speak. And it's really interesting to see that most, at least the ones that we've talked to, have found some way of coming out on top and being victorious and uh, holding triumph over these things that have knocked them down for so long. I'm glad to see that it's so attainable. Does that make sense? Like, I think it's, it's very much a message of hope, especially hearing your story and everything that you've been through. Other people that might feel like they're alone in how they feel is is not true. That there are other people that that struggle too, and it's not to invalidate your struggle because your struggle is unique to you. It's one hundred percent valid. But hold faith that my mom coming in here. This too shall pass. Like you're gonna be okay. Bottom line, I'm hoping that if you're listening to this episode and you're you're feeling down, let Coop's story and other people's stories use that as fuel for your hope. Because it's like, it's not over. Like, you're still in this fight. Like, stay in the fight, man. You're still here. If you're still here, we at Let Me Ask You are proud of you. We're proud that you're still here. And we hope that you keep going. I think another big thing, too, is just always remember that on your path of betterment, there's going to be large, large gaps of stagnation. And these things don't just come overnight or... You even come within a couple of weeks, you know, over time, these things happen as you install these almost like mental break systems to help you control the way you feel and the way that you react and the way that you deal with things. You know, it's some days you're going to feel like complete lunatic and some days you'll feel just fine. But as time goes on, especially if you're seeking professional help or doing things to better your life, you'll see over time the benefit. Looking three years back, I mean, like I, with you, Jacob, I send you videos of me from like three years ago. And it's like, I, I just, I'm like, I'm in awe. I'm like, who, that's not even the same person anymore. We wouldn't, we would, we would, we don't even look the same. It's a wonderful thing to look back and be able to see the change you've made, but also to look at it objectively and not hate yourself for it. Because that's another thing that I feel a lot of people struggle with is when they 
do all these changes, they look back at themselves like, God, I was so dumb. But to look at it in a way that you you realize that you were just you dealing with the life that you had with the cards that you were dealt and just trying to get by. What you said is beautiful. But do you think that um, sometimes it can be you know, important to sort of take inventory and, and kind of take a step back and understand where you came from so that you have a better grasp of how far you've come? But yes, objectively, yes. But not like in the, sh- you know, don't shame yourself for it or give yourself guilt for it. Because, you know, it's it's one of those things where like that had to happen to be where you're at today. You know, that that is one of those stones that you stepped to move to this this one you're at now. You know, it's like that's the one that's why I don't really regret anything, because it's like going back and looking. I needed that. to ha- I needed that to happen to be who I am today. And I feel strong and confident. You know, so it's like one of those like going back and seeing how insecure and just depressed and stuff I was. It's like I feel for that man, but he 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 existed so that I could be You're who I am today. Light. During all of this, what do you think's been the hardest thing for you to admit to yourself? Man, you know, I guess I'm usually thinking about that question. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> I think the hard <sighs> the hardest thing to admit to myself is that I am deserving of the love that I get because I am like, I can't now I can't even, I couldn't deny the amount of love and support that I get. And it's, it's so hard sometimes to be like, to not think that there's like an ulterior motive or like this person's just doing this to be nice, which they probably are doing it to be nice, but still like it's, it can be hard, but like that love, I, a part of me knows I deserve that love just as much as they deserve that love too. It's, it's a lie that you t- people will tell themselves or that, you know, another one is that you aren't a burden. It was hard for a while. That was a hard one that asking for the help or reaching out to people didn't make me a burden. That's something a lot of people struggle with. And it's, it's something hard to break, you know, especially since you feel so low about yourself, you know, you feel that shame. It's like, wow, you know, now I got to ask this guy for help. It's, it was hard. It, it seems like, you were almost ill-prepared to like step foot into the adult world. So I guess I just wanted to know from your perspective what some of the biggest challenges that you faced were. So the biggest challenges I faced going into adulthood was I was almost immediately thrusted in the world with no support network, I guess, financially. And no, it was almost like no going back. You know what I mean? And I eventually did get more like assistance in that regard. Like I can't deny that my brother didn't help me, especially like God bless my brother because he he dealt with me in some of the worst times where I wouldn't have dealt with me then. The the first part, you know, when I moved out, I had to really come into my own. And since my mother wasn't very tentative to me, I had to figure everything out on my own. And every single lesson you learn when you just jump into the fray, every every single lesson you learn is just a straight left hook right hook left hook i just remember just like all the time just like god how the fuck do i deal with this i'm sorry i don't mean to cuss but so the you know it was definitely the financial aspect which i still struggle with money pretty bad but then just like kind of just realizing what to do you know it's definitely that that joke of uh coming out of the tutorial with with no knowledge just thrusted with a pair of pants and a shirt and just told to go figure it out and having no confidence and having no you know, and being just depressed and unmotivated, life is like, life is on expert mode. You know, it's like you, you got to pull your pants up every day and pray to God, you, nothing bad happens. And you're just like, Oh, I don't want to do this. And you just, it's going into life 
in my adulthood with that, it felt like I was just flowing down a river on a raft that was slowly deflating and just kind of giving up. And I think that's what culminated into that, that moment where I wanted to kill myself was just that no ambitions, no goals, no cares, just that feeling of just going by. I definitely had that in my teenage years, but when you have kind of that guided life with school and you have that, you know, the no responsibility, it's, it's not really as much of a problem, but definitely in my adult years that all caught up. What would you say your, um, your ambitions are now? Would you say that your ambitions have shifted or that you have just found like a new sense of purpose? So like, here's where your ambitions lie kind of thing. I guess in a way my ambitions now are to just create a steady life and a, you know, a very like stable and content life. Cause one of the, another thing my father always told me is he's like, I never want to be a rich man. I want to be a happy man, you know, which as a kid, you're like, well, you'd be rich if you're happy. But as an adult, I realize now who my dad made good money. My dad was decently well off. You know, what he was saying was, you know, that you should seek the happiness in your life and not the money and not the fame and not the, you know, not any of that, just finding that contentment and living within the spot where you're comfortable and you're happy. And that's kind of like my ambition. I'm just looking for my spot. You know, I'm happy now, but I'm just looking for that comfort spot, you know, where everything feels good. Yeah. And I'm really glad that you could turn um, so many negative impacts in your life and able to turn around and be such a beautiful positive. Like I, like I said, I'm, I'm very glad that you could use that as a message of hope for people because that's very much what this is. And I don't want it to sound like I live like this magical life where I'm always happy. You know, I still struggle with my day to day and my stress, but you know, it's all about that management and like kind of like putting things where they need to be and, you know, looking at things objectively and, you know, allowing myself to one, the biggest thing is to feel through the pro, you know, feel through the emotions of the day, you know, being borderline, you know, one of the largest things that you would find is that it's everything is so emotional, you know, you feel so emotional about things. And so finding a way to control that emotion in some regard also comes with like allowing myself to feel it later. Within that, you know, it's, I've created a more positive mindset by allowing myself to be negative when I'm negative, you know? Yeah, let yourself um, feel your emotions, like feel what you got to feel, you know? cry, scream, get mad, but like come back. But like, yeah, feel your emotions for sure. They're there for a reason. I used to be pretty angry too. And I've come to find if I can find the source of that anger, which almost nine times out of 10 anger comes from grief. It's one, it's all hurt. And it's just a way of expressing it. And when you find that grief and you find a way to express that grief in a way, the anger will subside. It's hard. It's hard to look at your anger and be like, I'm mad because you did this, but actually I'm hurt because you did this. You know, people, you know, in life, you, when you feel such an intense emotion to like get yourself to come back and be rational during such an irrational emotion, it's, it's very hard. I think a lot of people struggle with that. I think a lot of people around the world are struggling right now. And if you could get one brief message to those people, what would that message be? My message would be, you know, there's a lot of hate and animosity in this, you know, this world right now in this country. I, I can't say right now. It's I think it's always been. We just have such a with an internet with the internet and whatnot. We have such a spotlight to the world and the darkest and deepest corners of the human condition. And so I think one of the biggest things is if you feel a lot of hate and rage in your heart, if you feel a lot of anger, shine your own light inward and see where that's coming from. Do you feel low? Do you feel shame? Do you feel guilt? Do you feel small? Just 
deal with those emotions within yourself and realize that maybe the hate and the rage that you may feel towards others might just be a projection of the low feeling of yourself. And that also on the journey of finding peace and happiness, realize that in turn of loving yourself, that loving, this is the best advice my therapist ever gave me this, this shattered my entire world. In the act of loving yourself, it isn't about killing off the things that you hate about yourself. Loving yourself is about looking at those parts that you don't like, giving them a place, but not giving them room. They're a part of you. And those, those pieces of you need to be recognized just as much as the good. You might be one of the nicest people in the world, but you're might be a pathological liar. You need to realize that's a piece of you and that you just, it's there for a reason. Maybe it was a safety net. Maybe it made you, maybe you were able to make friends that way. Realize that it served its purpose, but it's no longer belongs there. That's really introspective. And I I, I got to say, I agree with you completely. I think we are coming up on the end of our time. Is there anything that any product or any person that you want to shout out? Oh, who do I want to shout out? One shout out to AirPods. AirPods kind of rock. I thought, dude, no way why I was headphones, dude. They go hard. Um, I knew it was going to be some random ass thing, dude. I knew. Shout out to AirPods. Shout out to AirPods. Shout out to Rage Shadow Legends. Dude, ambitious new title. It's shout out to A Raid Shadow Legends. It's an ambitious new title. Coop, who's your hero? My hero? Yeah. Jokingly or like for real? Real, but brief. Real, but brief? Oh, my dad. Fuck yeah. Shout out to Coop's dad. Thanks Shout for Coop's Saint, dad. Thanks for Coop's dad. If you're listening, all right, from, from the great beyond, from the, from the aether, understand, understand that your genetics and your guidance, albeit brief, molded one of the most amazing men I've ever met in my life. And I'm so glad that he got to this point to be able to share his story. How did you start that with a joke and end it with something serious? I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm dude. Just, who brought up my dead dad? Who brought you're up my monster. dead dad? I want you to know that you're a monster. <laughs> who brought up my dead dad? Thanks for listening to Let Me Ask You the podcast. Find us on socials: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. We're not experts. We forgot to say it. Oh, but we're shit. not experts to any degree. We're not experts. Don't listen to what we say. Find yourself an expert. If you sue us, you'll probably win, but we don't have any money to give you. We'll so. see you in claims court. We're going to be really upset, and we're not going to have good lawyers, and we'll lose a lot of money. But you know what? We'll be there. We'll sp- Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> we're going to wear really nice Do suits it. to give off an air of presence. <laughs> Coop, thanks, thanks for listening. Coop, thanks for, thanks for coming on the show. It was actually like such – wow, just – I, all I can say as well is thanks for coming. It was really profound. I loved every second of it. I'm glad that you could share your story. I really enjoyed my time with you guys. It was a very wonderful time. Except for when Jake was a monster. You know oh, he's what? always a monster. Okay, so a little bit every time that we do this, I get a little bit closer to shaving a mustache. Yeah, I'm going to use tweezers to take yours out. Peace, bye, peace. Good I'm luck, dude. Gag tie. Mine's fake. <laughs>